Welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're so glad you're listening with us today. We've been spending the last few weeks talking about judgment. If you're watching social media, the news, or even going to the grocery store lately, it may feel like the only thing we feel these days is judgment. Either someone judging us, or if we're honest, maybe we were judging them. We've been deep diving this topic of judgment and what God's standards really are in our series called Judge Not. So far, we saw that Jesus didn't come to give us information like rules and standards, but rather he was seeking for us to be transformed through relationship. Last time, Pastor Nicole discussed how religion gets in the way of that relationship and how it leads to a critical spirit that hurts others and ultimately ourselves. Today, we're going to wrap up our series by looking at what role discernment plays when living out our lives and following what God says about judging others. So let's get started today. Here's Pastor Nicole. So we're closing up our series today called Judge Not, where we have looked at an excerpt from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached in Matthew 7. And we've been specifically focusing on what Jesus was saying about judging others and particularly judging others with a critical spirit. Now, last summer, uh, my family and I went to a Seawolves game. That's our local minor league baseball team. And we were there and we were having a great time uh, cheering the cheers, howling the howls, um, cheering on the home team, wearing our red baseball caps, just having a blast. And earlier in the night, um, I had asked Joel to go get our family a big tub of popcorn. So to my right was a family. There was a mom uh, with some of her kids there. And uh, as I was cheering for the, the baseball game, out of the corner of my eye, I watched this mom reach down and take a handful of our popcorn out of the tub. And I was flabbergasted. I mean, I couldn't believe that she would just help herself uh, to my popcorn. And so a few minutes go by and I didn't want to like make a scene or confront her. So I leaned over and I thought, well, if I just take a big handful of popcorn and, and you know, if I just get it, it'll like remind her that this is my popcorn and I eat it. And so I reach down, I take two handfuls of popcorn. I look at the girls and I'm passing the popcorn down. In fact, I went in for another scoop just to make sure that all the girls had equal amounts and I'm eating the popcorn a little bit of obnoxiously just so that she remembers like you know this is our tub of popcorn and and maybe she'll realize her mistake hoping she'd get the hint right well a few more minutes go by and she helps herself again to the popcorn tub but this time she picks up the popcorn tub and she passes it down to all of her kids pouring out of the tub a little bit of popcorn for all of her kids going down the row and and to my just complete surprise I was so livid because she set the empty popcorn bucket down between us with nothing left in it and and I was just speechless I didn't even know how to respond or what to do. And so as I was sitting there formulating my words uh, to, to confront this egregious act, Joel comes up the bleachers to our row with a huge bucket of popcorn. And he says to me, sorry, uh, they were out the first time I went down. Here's our popcorn. <laughs> uh, oh, man. I just didn't even know what to do. Sometimes we are just so wrong 
and the ways that we judge other people. It's embarrassing. Like when I ate that woman's popcorn thinking it was mine and I was actually putting my grubby hands into her popcorn. It made for an awkward rest of the game. But we've been talking about this passage in, re- in relationship uh, to judging others in Matthew 7. And we've been talking about how often it is a lot like a high jump. And that's why I brought a high jump to just show this example of what we're talking about in Matthew 7. And Jesus explains in his Sermon on the Mount that there was this group of people um, who often uh, kept moving the bar. They kept moving the bar from one position to another, saying, if you just reach this standard or this standard or this standard, then you will be a good Christian. And this group of people were called the Pharisees. And they were constantly moving the target and the standard, which created this religion that was basically impossible to live out. Jesus also addressed uh, another thing that we need to be careful of, and, and he said we can't just remove the bar. We can't just take the standard off, just take the bar off and say that there is no standard, that, there is, that that's not helpful at all. There is truth, there is right, and there is wrong. And accepting and loving others does not mean that we just take away the standard. But the thing that maybe we talked about the most in last week, how God's standard of holiness is unreachable. That there is no way to be holy. There's no way to be perfect as God is and how what he calls us to be. And so we need Jesus to lift us over the bar. That he made the ultimate sacrifice on the cross to bridge the gap for us. And we need to live our whole lives uh, above the bar. We need to ask Jesus to take every part of our life and lift us over the bar. Because when we settle below the bar, we settle below the blessing. When we settle below the bar... We settle below the blessing. So I want to just review this passage we're looking at together as we come to a close this, um, this Sunday as we're talking about these, uh, this passage in Matthew 7, 1 through 6. And it says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay, before I read verse 6, which is the finale of this little passage, um, if you have been following along with this series... This next verse, verse 6, is really a vital piece to this judging concept that Jesus is teaching. So I want you to really lean in and listen today so that you can understand the wholeness of this. So Jesus starts this passage by warning us against judgmental attitudes. He warns us against criticism that is self blind, that these blind spots that we have on ourselves that we criticize others. And, and he was so firm, and he, he squashed a critical spirit, he squashes pride, he squashes ego that exists in our hearts. Hands down, no arguments, there's no room for a critical spirit in the kingdom of God. But then, after that, Jesus takes this verse and he reminds us that he is not meaning to imply that people in his kingdom should suspend all discernment. Jesus is not saying, I'll live in a dream world where you walk around thinking and believing everyone is good at heart. 
uh, uh, he, he doesn't expect, uh, expect us to be like whimsically walking around thinking, it will all work out, everything sunshine and rainbows, praise the Lord all the time. Jesus is not asking us to have some false optimism about each other. In fact, in John 7.24, it says this, Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Now, a reader might read that, what we read today in Matthew 7 and then read this in John 7 and think, wait a minute, I thought we said in Matthew that we aren't supposed to be judgmental at all, uh, but now this passage in John is urging us to judge correctly. How can we have both concepts? Are we supposed to judge or are we not supposed to judge? Well, here's the distinction. We might paraphrase this passage in Matthew 7 with Jesus saying this, don't be judgmental. But don't throw all caution to the wind and lose discernment either. That there's a balance. There's a balance of love and grace and allowing people to figure things out and giving them love and grace and discernment that we need to have as Christ followers. There's a tension to manage. There's a balance that we have to have. And Jesus is not teaching us here to just cease from using good judgment when it comes to the behavior of others. Rather, he is teaching us to not be judgmental in a sinful way. Now, we talked about this in this series. Some examples of being judgmental in a sinful way is creating man-made standards of measurement and elevating them to the authority of Scripture. Taking a, a cultural conviction that you might have and saying it's as important as the word of God, which is never true. We should never make man-made rules that we elevate to the level of scripture. Um, we also talked about ignoring our own faults and pointing out the faults of others. We talked about that last week, having the plank in our eye before we examine the speck in someone else's eye. That is That kind of judging is condemning. It's sinful. It's wrong. It pushes people away from the church. It pushes people away from Christ. But out of a desire to avoid this condemning judgmentalism, there's always this danger that we might go too far the other way. That there's this danger that we will want to just take away the bar or take away the standard or never say anything to anyone about things that, that maybe are sinful or things that are tripping them up. And to, so to keep us in balance, Jesus goes on to give this command after teaching on judgment in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. In verse 6, he says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So this verse keeps the instructions in verse 1 through 5 in balance. And Jesus teaches don't be judgmental, but also don't be judgmentless. Don't be judgmental, but also don't be judgmentless. We need to balance love and discernment. Now this verse, I want to really dig into it and talk it through because it uses a lot of metaphors that I want us to understand. So the verse talks about two things uh, that have value. It refers to something that is sacred. Don't give dogs what is sacred. And it, refer, it talks about pearls. Don't throw pearls to pigs. Now, pearls in the Bible are symbolic of something very great. They're symbolic of something very, very precious. 
And in the original language, uh, the phrase used, don't give dogs what is sacred, actually means don't give dogs the holy thing. That word, what's sacred, also means the holy thing. So what is that? What, is, what are they talking about? What is the holy thing? Well, I would bet a Jewish person who first heard these words from Jesus would think about uh, when, when they heard uh, the holy thing, they would think about the holy offerings that were sacrificed to God upon the altar in that time period. And so in the Old Testament, uh, there are these offerings that, that, that people would bring. They would bring uh, all kinds of different offerings to the temple. And those offerings would be handled very carefully, very reverently. Very, uh, very much having value. And the priests were the only ones who could handle these offerings. They were often given out of great sacrifice and they were very, very meaningful. None of it was commonplace or nonchalant. And so the same phrase that is used to describe the holy thing or the sacred part of this verse is also used to describe Jesus Christ himself. That same word, that same phraseology in the, in the original language. In Acts 3, verse 14, Peter rebukes the Jewish people in the temple by telling them that they had delivered up Jesus to be crucified. And he says, look, you have denied the Holy One. And when he talks about Jesus in that way, that is the same words that was said in Matthew 7, verse 6. Don't, don't take what is sacred and throw it to dogs. Same phrase, same language here. So when Jesus speaks here of the holy thing, and he speaks here of pearls, he is making a reference to everything that has to do with him. Everything that has to do with Jesus. Everything that surrounds our relationship with God. Whether that is the truth of the gospel. Whether that's the teachings from the scripture. Whether that's worshiping God. Whether that's serving God. Whether that's God's name. Whether that's loving each other like God commands. What, what they're saying here is it is all to be treated as a very sacred and very honored and very valuable thing to us. That Jesus is reminding us that as believers, the things that he entrusts to us are of great value. The truth that God reveals, the, the salvation we experience, the seal of the Holy Spirit that is in us as believers, um, God's presence that we can feel, answered prayers, hearts that are transformed, all of this, this is a holy thing. It's valuable. It's like a pearl to us. And so what this verse is saying is we should handle our spiritual lives with a sobering sense that it has eternal value. We should handle all things of God with very, very great value. And so now that we kind of understand uh, what the holy thing means or what the pearls mean, now we have to look at what does Christ mean uh, when he talks about the other half of this, this verse? What, what's the dogs and the pigs? What does that mean? What's that metaphor mean in this verse? Well, uh, there are two Greek words translated dogs in the New Testament. I did a little research. One word uh, refers to a household pet. So in fact, in Matthew 15, there's a little passage that talks about uh, how there are little dogs that are permitted to eat the children's breadcrumbs that fall from the table. 
And this image, this, this word that's used in that passage is perhaps um, like the dog you have in your house that you love and care for, uh, the, the dog that you would pick up and snuggle, the dog that maybe you have so much affection for as a pet owner. That's what that word is describing. But there's another word for dog that Jesus uses. There's another word for dog in the language at that time. And, and it is not um, the same word as a cute little pet that we love. This word describes the kind of dog uh, that would we would never let anywhere near the table of, of a little child. Uh, this type of dog is wild, mean, uh, maybe a junkyard kind of dog, a dog that growls when you approach it. And the word for dog was used in the scripture in that way. It wasn't supposed to be describing a household pet or, or a friendly uh, animal that we love. It was used to, it, it was a word that really was supposed to be describing in the scripture an utterly despicable person. The word for dog was also used to describe those who were viciously opposed to God's call for holy living. People who have made themselves enemies of God, who have declared outwardly that they are enemies of God and of all that God stands for. Now, the other image that our Lord uses in this uh, verse is that of swine or pigs. And, uh, you know, there are two different kinds of dogs in the Bible. That one was cute, the other was dangerous, but there's only one kind of pig in the Bible. And pigs in Jewish culture were forbidden to be eaten they were unclean. They could not be eaten as food. And to, so to eat swine's flesh was, in the Old Testament, considered a, a great act of idolatry. And they, they, they weren't having any bacon with their eggs, okay? Let's just say that. They were not having any um, exposure to pigs. It was very much uh, this kind of image of, of something that was unclean. Now, one characteristic of pigs um, is that they are very undiscriminating, uh, basically, pigs will eat anything, good or bad. Uh, a pig can't discern between pearls and pig slop. They'll just eat whatever you put in front of them. And I suspect that's why Jesus used a pig as a metaphor in this particular verse, because this gives us a picture of someone who doesn't have the spiritual ability to recognize the value of something that is given to them. It's someone who can't discriminate between what is good and what is bad. Okay, so Matthew 7, 6 says this, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Because if you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So the word for dog in this verse is meant to be understood as someone who is utterly hardened in their sin, hostile toward anyone who would seek to, to call them out or call them from it. They represent someone who is viciously opposed to the message of the gospel and who would, if possible, gather together with others to attack those who proclaim the gospel. And when a hand of grace is extended to them by one of God's servants, this kind of person snarls and snaps at it like a dog. And similarly, a pig in our verse is meant to be understood as someone who is utterly incapable of differentiating between what is holy and what is common, what is good and what is evil. It speaks of someone who could no more appreciate the precious value of the things of God uh, than a pig could appreciate an expensive and exotic meal prepared by a gourmet chef. 
Okay, they could care less about the real value of something. So Jesus says this. He says, don't put the two things together. He, he describes things that are holy and precious and valuable. And then he describes maybe two types of attitudes. And he says, look, don't put these two things together. Don't give what is holy to the attitude of a dog and don't cast your pearls before the attitude of a swine. Remember, don't be judgmental, but have discernment in how and who we share the precious things of Christ with. Now here's the practical message I think we need to catch in verse six. Don't take the deep truths of God's word Okay, the things that maybe have taken you a long time to understand. Maybe things that, that the Lord has rooted out in you. Things that it's taken you even decades to fully get your mind around. Don't take the deep truths of God's word and just throw them at people who don't even know God. They can't process it or understand it. And this is really, really key. When we do that, when we take our personal valuable things or, or the deep truths of God or, or things that, that, that maybe are, are very va valuable to us and we throw them at people who don't even know God, they will see it as judging and not helping them. They will see it as judging them and not helping them. And even if our motives are good, even if our motives are fully good, they will not be ready to hear these deep truths. And the scripture says they will turn on you. That there are deeper things, there are valuable things, there are precious things in the kingdom of God that we need to discern what is the time to discuss them with others, specifically those that are not believers in Jesus. Let me give you an example uh, from Jesus's life, because you might be thinking, okay, uh, this isn't like exactly the evangelism message that I always hear, okay? But let me just give you an example from Jesus's life of, of where we can actually see this verse playing out. Okay, so before Jesus was crucified, he stood before a governor whose name was Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate uh, was tasked with deciding Jesus's fate, and Pilate begins asking him uh, questions. And, and they seemed like very sincere questions. And in that moment, Jesus answered those questions. And in fact, at the end of their, of their conversation, Pilate even said, uh, I find no fault in this man. Now, Pilate, he failed to defend Jesus, and, and Jesus did end up being crucified. But even though despite his failings, Pilate saw Jesus as an innocent man, and Pilate deemed him as someone who would be worthy to be free. Now, Herod was another ruler at that time. And Herod was different. Herod was the king at the time that Jesus lived. Herod wasn't interested in finding out the truth about Jesus at all. Okay, he simply wanted to see him perform some miracles. He wanted to see what he could get out of Jesus for his own personal gain. And Herod was king over the Jewish people, but he clearly had no sense of who it was that was standing before him when he met Jesus. His heart was hard. It wasn't softened at all. And Herod even proved his true character because the scripture says that he dressed Jesus up 
in, in robes of royalty just to mock him. And he treated him with contempt. Now Herod asked Jesus questions too. But when Herod questioned Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus answered him nothing. He was just quiet. And this example illustrates for us what Jesus is telling us in verse 6. Look, we need to be discerning. Jesus discerned between Pilate and Herod. Pilate's heart was a little bit soft. It was a little bit, uh, uh, you know, able to maybe receive the truth of God. Herod's heart was so hard and unable to receive the truth of God that when Herod tried to ask Jesus the questions, Jesus was just quiet. And so this example illustrates this for us, that we need to be discerning and beware of those who would trample the precious things of Christ underfoot. And verse 6 says, if we begin to tell those people about the deep truths of God, they will believe that we are judging them instead of helping them, and they will turn and attack us for proclaiming them. We're not to be judgmental, but neither are we to be judgmentless. So we've talked a lot about the role of, of the Christ follower or the role of the church as we've examined this passage in Matthew 7. And I hope it's given you a lot to think about. Oftentimes, um, as the church of Christ, we as Christ followers, we will start by talking with others about the moral laws of the scripture. Okay, so maybe when we're trying to explain to someone the, the gospel, maybe when we're trying to share our faith, we start by talking with others or judging others or telling others about the moral laws of the scripture and the ways that they are not uh, living up to those moral laws. So we say, okay, look, here's the list. You want to be a Christian? Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't cuss. We encourage people, uh, look, just adjust your lives to the list of this moral law. Adjust your life to the moral law. That is how we encourage people to explore their faith. That's how we encourage people to meet Jesus. But we have to ask ourselves this question. Is it really wise for the church to lead with God's moral laws? Is it wise that the rules are the first thing that we tackle with those who are not believers. Do the moral laws even make sense to a sinful fallen world? I would really have to say they don't. When we lead with all the moral laws of the scripture and say, well, this is how you have to act and this is how you have to be to be a Christian, typically someone who isn't anywhere close to exploring their faith says, I, that doesn't even make sense to me. Like, why would you not want to do that? Or why, why is that even a rule? And we begin to engage in this argument with someone about how their life and their standards aren't living up to whatever we're saying the standards are. The role of the church is not to run around the world and be the morality police. Truly the role of the church is to help people experience God's extravagant, unending, undescribable love. Like we've talked about over and over, the role of the church is to introduce people to the person of Jesus who lifts us over the bar. 
The role of the church is to help people understand even in our best efforts, even if we follow all the moral laws, we are still going to fall short of the standard of holiness that God has for us. But Jesus Christ himself lifts us over the bar. And because he does that, we can live our lives in eternity with him. This is so important. This is so important. Listen carefully. We cannot expect a person to change to God's law before he or she is changed by God's love. We cannot expect a person to change and, and be able to abide to God's law before he or she is changed by God's love. Okay, the love of God is the thing that wants that, that allows us to want to change. The reason we need to always be introducing people to the love of God first, foremost, constantly, persistently, is because love makes us change. Love makes us change. Moral laws, they don't motivate change. Guilt and shame, they don't motivate change. When the love of God comes into your life, it's transforming. It doesn't leave you the same. And after you experience the love of God the, the, and, and you love God in return, you want to change and you want to be like him. And then Jesus lifts you up over the bar. I really believe that until someone experiences the love of God, they will translate all of your efforts to explain moral laws as judgment. Let me say that again. Until someone experiences the love of God, they will mistranslate all of our efforts to just explain the moral laws of being a Christian as judgment upon them. And they will take all of your accountability and all of your comments that you think are helpful and they will feel judged by you. Matthew 7, 6 describes this. They will treat the holy and the sacred things of Christ like common stuff. Jesus is teaching here, always lead with the love of Christ. Always lead with the love of Christ. Maybe you are in a friendship or maybe someone in your family right now, you just don't know where to start. They seem so far from God. You don't even know how to have a conversation with them. Don't start with the moral laws of the scripture. Start with a revelation of the love of God. What should we talk about with believers and, and unbelievers alike? We got to talk about how deep the Father's love is. I'm not trying to ignore the moral laws. I'm not saying that, that we should just ignore people's sin and, and not ever hold anyone accountable. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this, we cannot start there. We need to start with a revelation of the love of God. And that revelation puts us in a position to want to change. It puts us in a position to begin to ask each other, hey, tell me, are there any specks in my eyes? Are there things in my life that you see where I am not living above the bar and I am now settling below the blessing? You see, God loves us so extravagantly. Uh, you'll remember in Luke 15, uh, there's this story where a son takes all of his father's resources and he spends them frivolously and the son goes away and in, in our context, he removes the bar. He, he lives without a standard and eventually he bankrupts himself in every way possible, emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially. 
And the son finds himself uh, feeding pigs and debating. Maybe he'll just eat some of the slop because he's so hungry. And when he realizes his mistake, when, he, when he's broken before the Lord and he realizes his mistake, he decides to go back home and he asks, listen, I know I blew it. I know I don't deserve to be here, but can I just be your servant? Like, can I just work for you? And in Luke 15, we find that his father, who, who represents Father God in this passage, welcomes him home with open arms. In fact, when he was a great way off, the scripture says the father ran to him. And he gives him a robe and a ring and a pair of shoes, and he throws him a huge party. And everyone's mind is blown in this parable because they expect the father to be distant. They expect the father to be upset, to be offended. They expect the father to turn away from the son or, or to ask the son to work off his debt. But the father, our father's love is so extravagant. It's so reckless. It's so overwhelming. It's so refreshing. It's like no other love. It's like a love we've never understood or experienced here on earth. And it's the kind of love that changes us. And in Matthew 7, verse 6, Jesus says, listen, use discernment because the things of God are really special. The love of God is really valuable. Don't throw the things of God around nonchalantly. And this, this nugget of wisdom is something that we have to hang on to as we follow Jesus. And now this, this truth never ever permits us to be rude or unloving or even give up on another human being who's rejecting the gospel. That is not what Jesus is communicating here. Because what we clearly see in the Bible is some of the most vicious gospel-hating people at one time, after they experience the revelation of the love of God, they have become some of the most boldest proclaimers of the gospel in the history of the world. Uh, the Apostle Paul himself is the greatest example of this. Paul had a revelation of the love of God first, and then everything changed in his life. And so we must lead with the love of God. We cannot be judgmental. We have to balance love and grace with discernment. But as we do this in wisdom, as we hold very precious and valuable the love of God and the gifts from God and our spiritual part of us, as we hold that in very much value and we protect it, we can effectively share the love of God with other people in very specific ways. This morning, I just want to pray with you. I want to pray together that we would have the wisdom and the love of God, that we would have a fresh revelation of the Father's love this morning. So would you pray with me today? Lord, I thank you so much that you help us discern and balance between love and grace and wisdom and discernment. I pray, Father, that you would give us the words to speak, that you would silence us when we need to be quiet, that you would help us answer questions that are genuine of people that are trying to discover who God is. And Lord, that you would give us the, the passion and the burden to help people understand the goodness of your love. God, would you give us each ourselves a personal revelation of your love? Would you help others in our lives have that same revelation? And God, I pray that you would help us understand the scripture, even when it doesn't feel so uh, clear cut at times and it's complicated. Lord, we pray that you would show us how to love you best. We want to be wise. We want to be instruments of your name. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.